you are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of yesterday. This was my last gig. If it has happened by now, it's like a miracle. Miracles happen. What happened? Oh. Electricity flicked off all over the world. Cheese! <laughs> yesterday. Ellie bought you a present. All my troubles seem wow. so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Oh, when did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who? John, Paul, George and Ringo, the Beatles. No, stop it. Yesterday, it's one of the greatest songs ever written. Well, it's not Coldplay. It's not Fix You. Do you genuinely not know who the Beatles are? Genuinely. Then I'm in a really, really, really complicated situation. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. Sorry, I'm just listening to Jack's new song. What's this one called? Leave it be. Let it be. Well, rock on, Jack. Oh, yeah. Tell you something. <laughs> I wanna hold your hand. Hi, we should talk. See, we pay and you write songs and then you make a ton of money. And then we take most of it. The one, the only, Jack Mallet. We would like you to write something right now. Something in the way. No one's ever written this many great songs. How do you do it? Tracks me like no other lover. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like someone else has written all the songs. Hey Jude. I've been waiting half my life for you to wake up and love me. But I'm a school teacher and you are the world's greatest singer-songwriter. I'm not. Except for you are. It's gonna be the greatest album of all time. I've got two men who claim that the songs are theirs. Let's see how this plays out, shall we? There's something you should know. Please make some noise for Mr. Jack Mallet. Let me just give you this advice. Song title. Hey, dude. Hey, dude, are you sure? Hey, dude. It's so much better. All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Yesterday, and the story is as follows. Jack Malik is a struggling singer-songwriter in an English seaside town whose dreams of fame are rapidly fading, despite the fierce devotion and support of his childhood best friend, Ellie. After a freak bus accident during a mysterious global blackout, Jack wakes up to discover that the Beatles have never existed. Performing songs by the greatest band in history to a world that has never heard them, Jack becomes an overnight sensation with a little help from his agent. The film is starring Himesh Patel, Lily James, Kate McKinnon, Ed Sheeran, Joel Fry, Sanjeev Bashkar, and Mira Seal. It is directed by Danny Boyle, written by Richard Curtis. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Nicole Ackman. Hi, everyone. And Danilo Castro. How's it going, everybody? All right, so 
podcast review. I'm going to do it with a little help from my friends here. I saw this film. Yep, this can just be forewarning. There's going to be a lot of Beatles puns throughout this <laughs> review. I saw this film a while ago now. I think it's almost been two months since I saw this film back at Tribeca, where it had its world premiere. And the film has had some time to sit with me. I've had a lot of time to think about it. I've kind of gone back and forth on this movie. And it's definitely, I've concluded, not top-tier Danny Boyle. However, I think I am leaning more positive than negative overall. I think that's kind of where the divide with this movie has come to the forefront. I, I think it's a, I don't want to say it's a love-it-or-hate-it movie. I think it's more of just a meh movie. Just people are just very, very down the middle with it. They don't seem to be passionate about it as much as... Jack is passionate about his music or Boyle and Curtis seem to be passionate about the Beatles. Like people do not have the same exuberance for this movie as some of the people in this movie have for the art of music. So I don't know where all of you fall on it. I have a feeling we're going to have a wide range of reactions here. Let's get into them. We will start off with Nicole Ackman. Nicole, what did you ultimately think of yesterday? Okay, so I went to see this film yesterday uh, <laughs> with my mom. Um, and I will start off by saying that, like, if you're looking to go see a movie, like, on the weekend with one of your parents, I think this is one of the best ones out there right now because it's, you know, mature enough to, like, have stuff to talk to them about. But also there's no potential, like, awkwardness, um, which I always appreciate. But I... I'm not a huge Beagles fan. I don't like dislike the Beagles, but I'm kind of ambivalent to them, I guess. Um, other than recognizing like what an important group they are in music history. Nicole, same, seriously. What? Like I don't listen. I don't listen to the Beatles. I respect them. Yep. But they're, they're yeah. I don't. People like revered them as like gods, and I'm just like, eh, okay. I'm like, <laughs> I see their place in history as important. Um, but I wouldn't like particularly choose to listen to the Beatles. Exactly. I tend to like other people covering the Beatles better than listening to the Beatles themselves. Hence, this is kind of the perfect film for me. Um, and I thought it was charming. It The second act is a bit slow and there are obviously like it's not a perfect movie, but I definitely will buy this on DVD. Definitely will watch it again. I thought Lily James was amazing and it was really great to see um, Himish Patel in the lead of this film and just to see, like, an Indian British man in the lead of a film where that's not his entire character, I thought was really cool. Not to mention, too, there is a world 15 years ago where it's not an Indian man. It's just a generic white man. Yep. So the fact that they don't play into that, like you said, and yeah. it's not so, oh, look at us. We're being very progressive. No, he's just the right fit for this role. And clearly, because... I think he's one of the positives of this film. He's such a breakout star in this. It's undeniable. Oh, yeah. I think he's fantastic. And I like that they did kind of address some of it with, you know, his parents feel very much like, you know, Indian parents. I grew up in a very Indian predominant area and have a lot of friends who are. And it felt very much like seeing their parents. Um, and I thought that it was lovely without ever veering into, like, stereotypical or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, Danilo, what about yourself? Uh, so unlike everybody else here so far, I'm a huge Beatles fan. Uh, I love their music. Um, you wrote so that good article on the site. I, yeah, I saw, I saw Beatles 
that's all me. Um, and then I'm a fan of Danny Boyle, and I think he's made some great films. So really the premise and sort of the pedigree of the people involved with it had me interested uh, from the start. I think ultimately I kind of fall where you kind of said uh, before, Matt. I'm down the middle but leaning more towards positive. Um, I think there's elements of the concept and the ways that they kind of treat it that are really creative. But I think there are also elements of this film, and we'll get into them, that veer a little bit, uh, a little bit towards cliche. Um, I would say I'm gonna kind of throw out there the first thing: uh, the romance for me does not quite hold up as well as some of the other aspects of the film, and that ultimately kind of kept it from being um, great for me. Okay, all right, Josh Parham, what about you? Uh, well, first of all, I would probably say that I do like the Beatles music, but I'm not a super fan of them. I think that their songs are really great, but I don't think they'd be anybody that I would immediately say, yeah, like greatest band of all time. I mean, personally, I think the Stones are better, but that's just me. Um, (laughs) and walking out of this movie, I gotta say, I was not really a big fan of it, unfortunately. And I think that for me, my issues kind of come down to something that's sort of general about the movie and then another thing that's very specific. And the general thing is that I think it's just kind of a bland movie. It doesn't really have that much going for it that I think really distinguishes itself from a character perspective. I kind of found everybody's relationships to be very surface level and not really developed at all. And I think the more specific problem that I have is this premise doesn't ever really dive that deep and never really makes any significant commentaries about this different world that it has created and the different dynamics that would be happening and what the Beatles music would mean to a world that didn't have it for so long and then is suddenly introduced to it in this modern era I feel like the movie just never really uh, talks about that at all. And instead, it just feels like a very surface level love letter to this group's music, which is fine if that's what you want. But I don't think it really interrogates its own ideas at all. And to me, it just felt very shallow. And I unfortunately just was not a fan of it. Well, we are close to the shallow now, I would say. Uh, <laughs> In this instance, because, yeah, I think Richard Curtis has written a lot of really charming and very great movies. I mean, About Time is one of those movies that I think just gets better with time. Love Actually is obviously highly revered and beloved. Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, Bridget Jones's Diary. The guy's got some great pedigree, and I think that there was a very intriguing premise here on the surface. Freak accident, wakes up, world feels pretty much the same, except there's no Beatles. No one's ever heard of the Beatles. He starts playing songs. They think he's written them. And then the film does something else that I didn't particularly like. It also tried to say that there were other things that also were wiped out along with the Beatles. Yeah, I hated that. Mm -hmm. I did not like that at all. And that was something that is not revealed necessarily in the trailer. And the film doesn't make a big deal about it. To your point, Josh, why are you going to include it in the movie other than for jokes? 
and just not dig deeper into what else? Well, and it would be one thing if the movie was making a commentary about, oh, the Beatles didn't exist, so here are some other things that you would kind of associate with them. That also Like Oasis? Would... Yeah, although there's also... <laughs> with the Oasis thing, there's also a logic problem within the actual movie itself that that doesn't make any sense. But... Like it just also introduces these notions of things that don't exist in this world now, and it's like, wait a minute, why? Like, why is it now that you're saying this doesn't exist? And if that doesn't exist, well, then what is the like? What is the new language of this world that we're in now? Like, even though this isn't a science fiction movie, it still has to do like some kind of world building, and I feel like the building blocks to establish that just aren't really there in this film. I actually kind of liked the thought that, you know, he's so centered in on the Beatles not existing, but there are, you know, other things that also were taken. It wasn't just like, oh, and this freak accident occurred and it's only the Beatles that are gone. To me, it almost worked better in the thought of like, okay, maybe what it is is like some sort of weird alternative universe switch and there's multiple things missing and he just hasn't realized it. I don't know. I, I felt like the film was opening up a big can of worms by doing that. And of course, the film doesn't necessarily address it. And as a result, it feels like an open plot point that is just never addressed. I, I would say just nix it all together. Just have it be the Beatles. If that's what your whole premise is built on, is this musician who is going to write the songs, pass them off of his own, and become the greatest singer-songwriter in the history of music then just have your film focus on that and don't open up an avenue that's going to lead us down a path that leads to nowhere. Now, one thing that was kind of a saving grace from the illogical aspects of this movie for me, though, was Himesh Patel and Lily James and the chemistry that I felt that the two had with one, you know, with one another. I think, obviously, a large part of that is because Himesh Patel, I've never seen him before in anything, actually. This was my first time seeing him on screen, and... I understand that he's been in some television shows before, but nothing that I've ever watched. So he was definitely a fresh presence, but Lily James, I thought, did a lot for a role that quite honestly, I felt like was almost a disservice to her <laughs> in so many ways. And there is a scene where the two meet at a, I think it's an airport. Like it's like a restaurant yeah. inside the airport. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there is just this, in my opinion, just really emotional, very sweet dialogue exchange that I, I, I felt a really genuine connection to. And I really put that not necessarily at the feet of the writing by Richard Curtis, which I will admit is very formulaic. And this movie for its wacky premise goes exactly how you think it is going to go. It never takes a quick left turn and throws like a twist in there that makes you go, oh, I didn't see that coming. Everything happens exactly as you would expect. But yet I still fell for this romance between these two, uh, these two characters. I feel like Lily James elevates a lot of roles that she does to something a bit nicer than that role was maybe written as. Um, I felt that she was very believable as this, you know, she's this friend who's been supporting him since they were kids and she's just been waiting for him to, you know, wake up and, and see her there, I guess. Um, and I thought that they did have really lovely chemistry, both 
in the romantic scenes, but also particularly in the scenes, you know, before the romance kind of kicks in where they're just friends. I thought that they were really believable as best friends, which I feel like sometimes that can feel a bit. I feel like some movies where two friends are supposed to end up together, it's too obvious in the beginning, like, oh, these two are obviously in love with each other. Whereas I felt it was a little bit subtler, particularly from his side. Like, he had to actually realize that he wanted to be with her. Um, And I appreciated that part. But I I did think that they were really lovely together. I just don't understand the hang-up with why is it so hard for him to realize. And also, too, I didn't like that she has been hung up on him for years. Uh, I, I it, it just seemed to me like an old form of storytelling that in 2019, I don't, I don't think it speaks well to our times now, uh, you know, portraying this female character as someone who is so hung up on this one particular guy and she's not going to, I mean, uh, I guess maybe to her credit, she does do things in her life to kind of move on from it, I suppose. But I don't know, just something about like that aspect of the relationship, the, that, like the romantic aspect of it, and why can't they just simply just be together? I, I I didn't buy that. It's that was that was my issue with the romance too. I like their chemistry, but I think that is a very kind of old cliche to kind of lean upon. And I think when you have a premise like this, this isn't something you really have to uh, rely on as much as I think Curtis did. I guess, I don't know, maybe this is because I'm like a 24-year-old girl, but it is something that I've seen friends go through, and it is, and from both sides, you know, either a guy going through it or a girl going through it, and it does, it to me, it felt quite real, and I loved that, you know, whenever he asked her to, to you know, leave her life behind, um, she says no, and to me, that felt important that, you know, she has a life separate from him and we see scenes of her you know as a teacher and that sort of thing and i felt like that saved it to me i think i would agree that they have really nice chemistry in the beginning of the movie and i think it's really interesting what you said nicole is that they do establish them as friends first before it just switches into a believable relationship a romantic relationship between the two of them i don't know if the movie ever really though gets to a point where I'm like, yes, that chemistry is lighting the screen on fire and I can't wait to see them together. I don't really feel like it kind of sticks that landing. And I think particularly the ending just did not really land for me. So like, I think they're fine together, but I also wouldn't say that it's an element to the movie that I think is exceptional. Well, the thing about the ending for me and without getting into the full range of spoilers here is I think for such a complicated premise that were potentially complicated because like we were saying we were saying before Richard Curtis doesn't go too deep into it it's very surface level the movie ha- also has this very or wants you to believe it's a very complicated relationship between these two characters and then at the end in typical crowd-pleasing fashion, everything kind of just gets this nice, neat red bow. And it's just neatly packaged, bright and shiny, here you go. And I will admit that the movie set me out feeling really good. And I started to think to myself, this might be one of the most manipulative movies I have seen in quite some time. You have the Beatles, you so you have this like amazing music that has its ability to work over your emotions. You've got this 
romantic uh, plot. You've got Danny Boyle's flashy direction. You got Richard Curtis doing, you know, his Richard Curtis thing with his writing. <laughs> and it almost seems like it's the perfect mathematical formula to turn out a crowd pleasing film, right? And I felt like I could just see through that too much. Um, it, it it didn't feel organic. It, it felt more like it felt more. Uh, what's the word? I I don't want to use the word manipulative again. But yeah, I'll, I'll just say it. It just seemed like it was more manipulative than actually feeling like oh, uh, we we really really want to tell this story uh, because we love the Beatles and we want to do uh, a tribute to them and a tribute to music and to life and to love and to all these things. But we're also not going to take it to that next step and add a layer of complexity on top of that. We're going to just give you all the nice things. You're going to feel all the nice things. And isn't that just nice, everybody? And I just, yeah, I I, I wasn't falling for it as much. Um, at the same time, though, I cannot deny that the movie made me feel great. <laughs> you know, like... It was it was like the cynic in me was at war with the person that just wanted to embrace all of these lovely feels that the movie was putting out there. <laughs> and that's a very admirable thing that the movie does try to accomplish. I think a roadblock that I just kept getting into with this movie, though, is it really doesn't want to interrogate the idea at all that the Beatles might not be the greatest band of all time. And I think that you have to kind of go into this movie knowing that that is the assumption that this movie is working with. And if you are looking for a movie that wants to poke at that, at those ideas of what it would be like for a band to disappear for decades and their music not exist in the world and suddenly show up in a culture that has a very different relationship to music than it did in the 1960s, that doesn't happen here. It's basically people hear this music and they love it. And I just sort of wanted a little bit more out of the movie from that. I didn't need to go into a deep dive of like where the blackout came from and the science behind it. But I do feel like if with this premise, you need to poke a little bit deeper to be a more interesting movie. And that's not what this movie is really doing. It kind of just is there to be, let's listen to Beatles music and we all agree they're great. Right. You know, and that's not really enough for me personally. I did love the moment, though, where he, like, first plays it. I think it's in the trailer, and the friend is like, well, it's not Coldplay. It's not <laughs> It's not you. Fix You. I love yeah. <laughs> Fix You. Oh, God. I think Fix You is actually one of the best songs I think I might I may have ever heard, to tell you the truth. But I also love this hint that, like, okay, is Coldplay, then, considered the best band of all time? No. God, no. Like, yeah, which is hilarious. Um, but I – and I, I do see that point that, like, it doesn't really get into, like, okay, well, then – you know, are they actually that spectacular? But I kind of like that he also gets kind of thrown out there because it's obviously like this one guy doing the Beatles music is very different from the Beatles as a group. Oh, um, well, they have that montage where he has to like remember the songs. Oh my God. But he almost gets thrown out as like a superior Ed Sheeran, which I thought was hilarious. I, okay, I gotta, I gotta, yeah. I gotta address this. He was this. in this movie way more than I thought he Same. would be. <laughs> yeah, I will say that I, I've seen Ed Sheeran now act in two things: Game of Thrones and this. <laughs> and I think that Ed Sheeran playing himself, believe it or not, actually works. Yep, 
It feels to me a bit like Keanu Reeves in Always Be My Maybe, um, where it's someone playing like a slightly more annoying version of themselves. Obviously, Keanu Reeves is much more out there in that. But like this feels like Ed Sheeran poking a bit of fun at himself too, like in that bit where he's like, okay, like let's both go write a song. Like mm-hmm. the, yo, a shape of you as his ringtone oh my God, was yeah. so amazing. <laughs> And also, too, like, there's a scene in the movie where him and Jack have kind of, like, a music off. They both uh, write a song really quick, perform it for everyone. And, you know, I got to give Ed Sheeran uh, some props. I think that he is a very, very talented musical artist. I think he gets a lot of unwarranted hate sometimes. Uh, But that scene (laughs) where Jack just plays uh, the long and winding road and the look on Ed Sheeran's face. He looked like he wanted to just quit music altogether. Like, well, I'll never write anything as good as that. I'm going to bed, everybody. <laughs> he literally says to Jack, you're Mozart and I'm Salieri. <laughs> <laughs> and then the bit where the manager character, you know, Kate McKinnon's character is like, well, mm. you know, he, he had a few good songs. But uh, but you're it. I was like, I, I think, you know, I it really made me like Ed Sheeran even a bit more. And I am a big Ed Sheeran fan. Um, to see that he was willing to, you know, kind of play this, like, almost worse version of himself, it felt like, in this. Um, and I think it fits in really interestingly with, you know, he's got a couple of songs on his last album that hint at himself being a bit disenchanted by fame and the music industry and everything. So I think it's an interesting pairing to this film. You bring up Kate McKinnon yeah. playing the music manager and... This is one element of the movie where I was just like, as I was saying before, I was just not having it. (laughs) She felt like she was in a different movie than the one that I was watching. Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm very mixed on on her in this film because I love Kate McKinnon, and I do think that kind of just stepping back and looking at what she's doing, it is rather funny. I do like what she's doing, but it does feel so tonally different from everything else in the film that it just takes you out the minute that she walks on screen. So she's very talented. I love Kate McKinnon, but she just doesn't really work for this movie. It's a very broad performance. She's working at a level where clearly the film wants to be a little bit more down to earth, I feel like, with its characters, but she felt like she was playing like a cartoon villain at times. Mm -hmm. It felt very camp. Yeah. Very camp. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree that it felt like she was in a totally different movie, and I don't know if that's what I don't know if that's what you hire Kate McKinnon for exactly. Like, do you know what you're getting if you cast her in this type of role? I don't know if that's Danny Boyle's fault. I, I don't. I don't know uh, who to blame for that tonal mismatch. But at first, when she appeared on screen and you know she's delivering some of her lines, I was like, "Oh, this is fun. This is funny." But at a certain point, I was like, "She's just not fitting in with the rest of the movie, and she's really sticking out like a lot." Um, and now I, I'm going to keep this very, very vague, but. There is a scene in the movie with Robert Carlyle. You all yes. know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay, can I say, I was racking my brain to figure out why I recognized him. And finally this morning looked up who was playing that bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched every season of Once Upon a Time. And he was one of the lead characters in that. And then I was sat there like, I can't believe I didn't recognize who it was. <laughs> uh, he really... 
is camouflaged into the role. I mean, he's been great in Train Spotting and, and the sequel. I thought he was phenomenal mm-hmm. in that. Uh, the Full Monty, obviously, and I mean, he's an actor who doesn't really have what I would consider like a really prolific career necessarily. So, yeah, it didn't surprise me that when that scene happened that you weren't supposed to recognize who the actor necessarily was. And he is uncredited uh, for this movie as well. But that was also a scene that I had mixed feelings on a lot because that was where whenever before I was talking about this movie being overly manipulative. Mm hmm. That was the scene where, like, it finally like sold sold itself to me. That okay, I think they're trying too hard. Like, yeah, they are trying way, way too hard to win over an audience with this right now, and it's it's just it's too much. It's just way too much. That is a scene that, to me, whether or not it works for you is going to depend on how plugged in you are to what the movie is doing overall. Because as you said, Matt, it's very manipulative and it's really like just telegraphing its hand at that point as to what kind of movie it is and what kind of things it wants to say about uh, the world that it is set in. And if you're not really into what the movie's doing, that scene comes up. And personally speaking, it was like one of the biggest eye rolls I had throughout the entire film. And I was not a fan. Okay, on the opposite side, I really didn't mind it. I thought it was a really interesting premise, kind of bringing a bit more of a human touch to the implications of the premise of the movie. Um, And kind of, it made me think through, like, oh, yeah, I guess if the premise is that the Beatles as a group never existed, like, what else does that entail? And it was one of the only places where that really was touched on, I felt like. Um, And for me, I mean, as someone who loves a good sappy rom-com as long as it's decently well done um it really worked for me by that point i was i was kind of sold on what kind of film it wanted to be so i was good with it i was once again i feel like i'm spending this whole review in between the two of you guys opinion wise (laughs) um i i liked the the uh thought process behind it because at least it felt like they were delving into the concepts more but at the same time, I don't know how I feel about the execution of it still. I'm still kind of dealing with it in terms of I, I think it's one of the most notable things of the film, but I don't know how much uh, it worked for me on an emotional level. Mm. Uh, one other thing I want to ask and try your best not to reveal uh, spoilers with this, but what did you all think about the two people that approach Jack at the end, how that was built up? And then how it resolves itself. I like that a uh, lot, actually. really enjoyed that. I like the sentiment and the message behind it. But I almost felt like it was giving the wrong moral of the story to Jack. And that he did something wrong. To me, I well, felt I- like it helped him reframe how he felt about what he was doing. Um, you know, because I think that there is an element of his guilt throughout the film. Um, And I think that that, you know, really sparks on the ending of the film and sparks on him think, you know, rethinking what his goal is, if that makes sense. But that like kind of goes back to what I was saying before, where I feel like this film for such a complicated premise and a complex situation that Jack finds himself in, which really did have me intrigued as to how this was going to end. Mm -hmm. 
I felt like they took such an easy way out to wrap everything up, like I was saying before, in this neat, nice package, you know? I will say that that was one of the only instances I can think of in the film where, to your point earlier, Matt, I think I did not uh, anticipate that particular narrative line being Mm -hmm. taken. I wasn't sure where that was going, and I didn't expect where it went. So I was pleased with the way they kind of handled that. And it was an instance of me going, oh, that's, you know, I didn't see that coming. I was genuinely really surprised by it, particularly because with one of those characters, uh, with, I guess, the the typecast of um, them, I was set up to be like, oh, no, like, from earlier in the film, I was like, this this person's going to come and come for him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, oh, okay, yeah, actually, it's, to me, it felt like less of a cop-out if there's this idea that they don't go the way that you expect them to go with it. I agree. I can yeah, I can give a credit for that certainly. I think another part of me does look at that particular like subplot and sees it as a way for them to manipulate or, or at least to manufacture some tension in this story because without it I I will admit that there really isn't a lot of like actual tension other than internal with this main character and it felt to me like that was a way to add stakes outside of him and i think on the one hand it does kind of work but i think also its resolution while not exactly pedestrian i think also surrenders more some other interesting ideas that you could do and really to me just sort of hones in on the idea of wanting to just kind of live in a world of celebrating the music and it's it's hard to talk around <laughs> this thing, but yeah. ultimately, I don't know. It, it was another thing that kind of felt like the way it ended was just sort of a little bit too much hitting me over the head with what this movie really wanted to talk about. All you need is love. <laughs> bam, 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 bam. That's, that's just what it all boils down to in the end. Get it? Boils down to. (laughs) Actually, can can I mention something about Danny Boyle? Um, Yeah, because I was actually just about to bring him up as well. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, Danny Boyle is a filmmaker that is really known for having very bold styles. And you walk into one of his movies and you can automatically tell that you're watching one of his films. And I got to be honest that I did not really find that much in this movie to distinguish itself from a filmmaking perspective and i'm not somebody who always needs that i think that if you have a really good story you don't necessarily need a lot of flash from the filmmaking but when it is danny boyle you do kind of expect that and i was struggling with kind of how bland i felt this movie was was shot and was kind of shocking to me that this was a danny boyle film well, he didn't use his go-to DP. True, he didn't use uh, Anthony Don Mantle on this one. Right, it was Christopher Ross uh, who did the cinematography on this one. Um, the editing was done by John Harris, who uh, edited 127 Hours, T2 Train Spotting. I am kind of with you in that sense, maybe from a cinematography standpoint, Josh, that it's not as flashy as his other movies have been. However, I did still feel the directorial style with the editing, with the uh, camera angles, with the use of color in some instances, and of course, the film's hyperkinetic energy. Yes. 
which I think is which I think is definitely like when you think of Danny Boyle's style, it, it's it's that it's kinetic energy that I feel somebody like Michael Bay does for the action genre, and Danny Boyle does it more refined and perfectly for anything, <laughs> regardless of genre. Well, for me, it it did not really come across as strongly as it did for you. I felt like a lot of this movie was shot very mutedly and i didn't really feel that much kinetic energy that i get from his other movies even from like just like a straight drama i i don't know for me i just didn't really get much of that in this film and i think particularly in the second half i was kind of struggling with the pace of the movie yeah was that also too because you had a thought come across your head while watching it okay how is this going to wrap up a bit like you're like you're getting impatient and you're like all right, what are they going to do here? But it's not from a curiosity standpoint. It's more of just like, uh, like let, let's get on with it sort of thing. I yeah. did feel that at one point. Yeah, that's kind of the perspective that I was having uh, as the film went on. Yeah, because I've heard that a lot about the second act. I, I mean, I think maybe we can all agree. I, I don't know. Maybe we can. Maybe we can't. That the first half is probably stronger than the second half. Yes. Yes. I agree. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah, uh, and I think that that uh, just kind of goes back to Richard Curtis's screenplay, and I think the, like I said, when you take a step back and you look at the film as a whole, I, I just think that the predictable route that he chose to go with this movie in terms of its storytelling and the fact that it doesn't dive deeper and give you a lot of thought-provoking things to actually think about once the movie's over, it's just all very cookie-cutter, Um I think that's what weakens the second half of the film dramatically for me. Agreed. All right. So with that said, final thoughts on yesterday. Uh, I'll pass it off to Nicole first. Anything that we did not talk about that you want to address? I don't think so. I think we covered most everything. I really enjoyed the performances in this film, and they kind of saved it for me. Um, I think it's a, a cute concept as long as you don't ask too much of it. Um, and I, I think that it, it feels like it, it succeeded in what it wants to be. Um, and like I said, like a really fun, charming movie. If you're looking to go see something, you know, with your parents or a friend or whatever, um, especially if you kind of want to break from the feels like we've had several like darker, heavier films come out recently. So it's it's a nice, light summer movie. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with you on that. Danilo, what about you? Um. As a scene that uh, kind of stood out to me uh, in the first half of the film and kind of as an example of Boyle's style, I really like the first recording session that Jack yes. has. Are you talking about the one at the train station? Yes. Yes. Um, I think the editing is really strong there. And I think that scene better than any other kind of conveys the joy of being able to record all these songs for the first time and knowing they're great. That kind of that kind of uh, perfectly summates the premise for me and I think kind of distills it down to a scene that's really strong and kind of uh, exciting. So that I just wanted to point that scene out. Cool. Um, overall, I think the film has some strong points and some low points. Um, I think, like I said, some of the more uh, traditional aspects of the story, some of the more formulaic, kind of hold it back from uh, kind of take away time from, uh, you know, that could have been better spent exploring the concept a little more. Mm -hmm. And for me, that holds it back a little bit. So overall, I like it, but I don't love it. Okay. And Josh Parham. Um, yeah, I, I just think that this movie, 
works in a particular frequency that you are either going to like or you won't get into. And I talk about that a lot with certain movies that, you know, there's like a wavelength that you need to be tapped into to enjoy. And if you can, it's really great. But if not, you're not really going to have a great time with it. And I, I feel like that's just sort of where I'm at. And I think that there are elements of the film that are kind of well done. It's not all out bad, but I feel like the premise that it works with just never really gets talked about in an interesting way. And for that, it was a really big roadblock for me to get invested in this movie. And I think also, ultimately, when I walked out the film, I kind of felt like I had just spent all this time listening to a baby boomer yell at a bunch of a bunch of millennials saying how great the Beatles were and how terrible their modern day music is and they don't have it as good anymore. I don't there was just something about it that felt very old fashioned in that regard and I think it's because it didn't really dive too much deeper into the premise that it was working with. So it's not like I said, it's not all out terrible. It's not like one of the worst movies of the year for me, but it is a very uninteresting movie. And I probably would even say it is my least favorite Danny Boyle film, to be honest. Wow. 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 Okay. What was it previously? What what, what did yesterday have to get over in order to become uh, your least was favorite? The beach? No, it actually was not the beach. Um, Good. I like was, the beach. <laughs> yeah. The beach is not terrible. Uh, actually, <laughs> before yesterday, it was trance. Uh, that was my least favorite one. Yeah, that's definitely uh, one of his more forgettable yeah. ones, for sure. Yeah, but to me, trance at least had a little bit more of the filmmaking to go along with it that elevated at least slightly. I don't think trance's premise is all that interesting, but I thought that it at least compensated a little bit from the filmmaking, and that's where I thought yesterday kind of um, was lacking for me. I don't want to sound like a uh, broken record, so I'll just sum it up very, very simply. Uh, the movie worked for me. Although, like, it teetered and it just barely did. And I think a lot of that is because uh, this mathematical formula, as I said before, you take the Beatles, take this music, take Danny Boyle's direction, take the charming leads, put them all together, and you have yourself a guaranteed crowd pleaser. Like, guaranteed. Uh, and I and, and when I say guaranteed, I mean, like, they think it's guaranteed, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, how can we lose with this? <laughs> You know, we have all the we have all the right pieces and yet something does not fully work. And I think that all kind of goes back to uh, Richard Curtis's screenplay. So. In short. I've been going back and forth between two grades this entire review, and I am going to settle on a very weak seven out of ten. I. Yeah, I'm going to go with a 7 out of 10. I, I'm not going to go back on that. Danilo, what would be your grade? Uh, I'm also going to give it a 7 out of 10. Kind of like you, it would, would just jump over that 6.9, but it is at that 7. All right, Nicole? I'm actually going to give it an 8 out of 10, partially because I feel like this has a really great rewatchability factor. I came out of it and immediately said to my mom, I want to see this again. I can't wait for the DVD. And to me, that gives it the extra half a point to get up to the 8 out of 10. Oh, yeah. No, you hit the nail on the head before that this is a movie that I know that I will watch again because I'm going to definitely recommend 
my parents to watch it. I'll show it to my sister at some point. Exactly. Because it is that easy watch. Yep. Yeah. And it also doesn't, like, offend me. I'm not, like, repulsed by it. I'll watch it again. I just don't think it's as, as interesting as the movie itself thinks it is. <laughs> Josh Parm. I'm going to give it a four out of ten. I, I'm sorry, just was not really into the movie, unfortunately. But I will also say that this is one of those movies where even though I didn't really care for it that much, I could see myself still recommending it to certain people who are looking for something that is very light and charming and indulges on their love of the Beatles and their music. And it doesn't really work for me, but I clearly can see how it does work for other people. So, you know, there are people out there that for which this movie is designed to be enjoyed by them, and I could see myself recommending it. But just for me personally, in terms of what I wanted out of a movie, this really wasn't it. Okay, and now we're going to discuss the film's awards prospects, if it has any. We have seen Danny Boyle films get considered by the Academy before. We've also seen Danny Boyle films get entirely snubbed by the Academy before. I think this is going to fall in the snub category. However, I think that Himesh Patel stands a really, really good shot at getting a Golden Globe nomination for a comedy musical. I would completely agree with that, with the exception that there is an original Ed Sheeran song in the movie. Um, And depending on what else comes out for original song, uh, this year, I could see maybe that sneaking into a song at the Oscars, but otherwise, I think, yeah, it's it will have its luck at the Golden Globes, if anything. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. I, I don't really see this having legs to get to the Oscars. Um, it does feel very much like a Globes play to me. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm kind of with everybody. I think the I think the Globe nomination is a good call, but other than that, I don't really see it. Uh, standing out in any particular category. Yeah, and that's usually a shame. I, I want to see Danny Boyle come back to the dance with something uh, as strong as Slumdog Millionaire. I mean, he did have that streak of Slumdog 127 hours uh, that happened back-to-back, although he didn't get a director nomination. Uh, the film got a Best Picture nomination in mm-hmm. the year of, uh, year of 10. So, you know, I mean, it could happen again uh, that he could make something that would appeal to the Academy a little bit more. I think he just needs the right story, a better screenplay, and something just a little bit more edgier, thought-provoking, because this was, like I said, this was just like the sort of thing that you give to your friends and family, like like you put this on during Thanksgiving for the whole family to watch, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. To me, it feels like a very light Mm -hmm. summer movie. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, That'll pretty much do it here for our review of yesterday here on the Next Best Picture podcast. I have to say, I, I you know, just even after talking about it all this time, um, I'm really like it, it almost it almost feels like it's uh, one of the more disappointing movies of the year uh, because of all the elements that it had to work with. And the fact that they just came out with what was just your generic movie. You know what I mean? Like, like I feel like it could have been so much more than what it is. And what it is, I don't think is bad. I don't really understand people that think this movie is, like, trash. I just think that it's just very middle of the road in that regard. 
do you think the fact that uh, a filmmaker of Danny Boyle's caliber did it sort of adds to that disappointment? Like, if this was a more nondescript filmmaker taking this, it would be like, oh, okay. But the fact that it is someone like him? Yes, I think that's an. I think that's a factor. That's a factor for me, is why I ask. I think that I still would have had problems with the things that we have brought up, regardless. Sure. Okay, Josh Parham, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at JR Parham. Nicole Ackman. I am at Nicole Ackman 16. Danilo Castro. I am at Danilo S. Castro. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of yesterday here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, write us a comment, rate us five stars, let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback, as well as your support, which you can lend over on Patreon for $1 minimum a month. You can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.